Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking malignant mutations, we're talking contemporary dance, and we're talking women scientists. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking Mandelbulbs, whatever that is, because I'm telling you right now, I looked it up and I still don't know what it is. <laughs> oh boy, that was like a senesis or whatever. Synesthesis? Yeah, I was like, I understand it when she explains it, and yet I don't want to have to pronounce it. And you've already corrected me, so clearly I did it wrong. Oh, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. It just looks like Mandelbulb. I mean, nevertheless, <laughs> I went to the Wikipedia page for this, and it was like, well, it's a thing that exists, but it doesn't really exist because it can't exist in 3d form and i was like and then and then they give you a bunch of like physics equations and i was like nope i don't nope. know what this Goodbye. means <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> uh everyone we are discussing alex garland's annihilation and Ooh. i hope you brought your study glasses Ah, i mean here's the thing at least this movie it, well philosophical has a lot of interesting things to say unlike say men which we talked about on the patreon and had to come down pretty hard on yeah i mean it's so interesting you know i i read the entire book trilogy before this movie came out and i remember i still liked this when i saw it in theaters but i was a little i was still like oh i need a second viewing and a lot more of it clicked into place this week which was my second viewing of this oh okay i've seen this movie probably five or six times (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, before we get too much into this, let's bring in our guests who are waiting in the wings. So, um, everyone, they are the hosts of Nightmare on Fifth Street, a podcast in which they talk about the ridiculous gory bits and t- the tired plot lines of horror movies, all while digging into those introspective moments and societal themes on a weekly basis. Please welcome Dahlia and Alma. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm so excited. I was just like ready to jump in. Like, let's. Ooh, I'm I know, right? Talk about it. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> 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 well, welcome to the show. And thank you for coming on to this film. So I have a question. Was this y'all's first time watching this movie? Okay. So no, it wasn't. And um, I appreciate it watching it again. I made sure I watched it today. Because <laughs> I, well, because I wanted to make sure that I remembered the little bits and pieces 
Um, and I'm so glad that I've watched it more than once because, yeah, it, little things start to make more sense the more you watch it. Well, I watched it for the first time. And I was actually really excited when Dahlia mentioned it because I haven't seen it. And whenever it's like something new, I'm ready to like kind of jump in and give it my full attention. I was hanging on like every word and I love the pacing <laughs> because I think that mm -hmm. helped me personally. And Dolly knows I'm not a big like sci-fi fan. She is and not. I know. So it's <laughs> so everything new sci-fi I've been watching like in the past like two, three years. So this one, it, I just, I had no idea what it was. So yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> this is going to be fascinating then because I think mm -hmm. you'll probably have very different key takeaways ways like things that stood out to you whereas to maybe dolly and i it's gonna be like oh yeah we we caught that on the second watch the third watch or something oh that's cool well and it's interesting you know because you're watching this again i was like with, with a movie like this i'm always like okay i'm trying to pinpoint the exact moment in the film when i start to lose track of what's actually happening and honestly with this film it's really just well just quote unquote the last like 20 <laughs> 25 minutes but this, I mean, look, we this is sci-fi, but this is also cosmic horror. And mm -hmm. a lot of the horror in cosmic horror comes from what we don't understand, what we don't know. And also, like, the, the entity in this film kind of goes against normal movie rules, right? Like, this isn't an alien mm -hmm. that uh, is trying to kill you or eat you. This is just a thing <laughs> that we, we don't know what it's doing, but oh, it doesn't yeah. seem to be malicious. It's just, like, a thing that is expanding <laughs> yeah not knowing motive right away or even up until the end that's that's creepy to me because like tell me do you want to kill me or do you want to educate me I, it's it's either yeah. or for me yeah Come on. Well, and that's the thing i mean we'll talk about when we get to the actual like plot part but you know when when natalie portman's facing off against her double it's like well it's trying to kill her it's like well no no it's not mm -hmm. it's trying to learn from her mm -hmm. but it yeah. just happens to be killing her in the process yeah yeah it's so good. I love it. I love <laughs> especially this climax. I feel like it's very divisive. People like or hate this movie. But, mm -hmm. you know, to me, this is very reflective of what horror was doing in 2018, which in my mind, I'm going to make a bold statement right off the top here. To me, 2018 was the best contemporary year we've had for horror in a very long time. I am including last year, 2022, in this. <laughs> I think 2018 is the benchmark because we got this, we got Hereditary, and then we also got another movie that we might be covering in the near future, Trace. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I'll look at the schedule later. <laughs> well, okay. Well, as you said, this is a long movie. So why don't we discuss first how this came to be? So actually, Joe, have you, have you read these books? I can't remember. I have read all of them. And then I reread Annihilation last year with the oh, Horror Queers okay. Book Club. Okay. Okay. First of all, so on March 26, 2013, Paramount Pictures and producer uh, Scott Rudin acquired the film rights to Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation. And this was the first installment in what would come to be the Southern Reach trilogy. That book came out in February of 2014, with its sequels, Authority and Acceptance, coming out in May and September of 2014, respectively. Mm -hmm. Rudin reached out to Alex Garland to direct the film because they had both worked together on Ex Machina. But here's the thing. I think they, I think he reached out to him while he was still working on Ex Machina because a lot of the things in this say that, you know, they started production like in 2016. Mm -hmm. But in the interviews on the Blu-ray, it seemed, they all seem to say that they were working on this as they were finishing Ex Machina, which uh, came out at the very, very tail end of 2014. Which is pretty wild if you think about it. I mean, I know a lot of people have multiple spokes in the fire or 
Spokes in the fire? No. Stokes? Stokes Stoke. in the fire? Sure. If you stoke a fire. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. Some multiple stokes in the fire. Yeah. It very much seemed like they had already settled on this as their next project. And Alex Garland clearly likes to continue working with the same people. Very much. And you'll find a lot of the same crew, especially with the special effects people on this film that also worked on Ex Machina. Um, and Ex Machina, I don't think, is is as on the surface effects heavy but everything to do with alicia vikander is basically a special effect mm -hmm. so garland admits that annihilation had a diff is a difficult film to describe which makes it a difficult film to finance but while they expected to have more issues uh they they pretty much everyone involved agreed the timing was right garland's script was terrific and at the time he became the talk of america because ex machina was a sleeper hit that summer of 2015 and at the same time, Natalie Portman was involved in this. So getting her on board from the get-go was really helpful to get this film financed. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, when you have a giant star attached to it, your movie is more likely to get made. Especially Natalie Portman. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I just don't know how I didn't see it. <laughs> I really think... Um, I'm really opposed to watching trailers and uh, like getting too much information about movies beforehand. I really enjoy a movie when I go in completely blind, like with no information. And somehow I think that's how it got lost to me. It could have been somebody said it was a sci-fi movie. And because I used to be, <laughs> used to be, used to be very prejudiced, <laughs> I, guess, um, I probably just skipped right over it. And then when I saw Natalie Portman, I was like, it's got Natalie Portman in it. Oh my gosh. And then it was like looking at the cast i was like mm. i don't know how i slept with this because i will watch a movie if it has like all women you right. know i'm like um wow and so i i was just kind of blown away like every every step of the way yeah and i noticed like a lot of the same people in a lot of the productions the, the 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 few movies were like oh man that that work, person worked on ex machina and i kept looking up everybody and then i went down that rabbit <laughs> hole as well because i'm like how did i miss this <laughs> well and it's so funny because for me let I me mean, yeah I, I knew about this i kind of followed this because i was filming with alex garland and yes natalie portman came on board but for me it, this is joe laugh at me no um, i know who you're gonna say i know i know well because I, I have a thing i have a thing for um actresses specifically who are more they they, they typically start in family fair or disney fair or you know teenage fair and they move into like r-rated horror territory and so for me it was gina rodriguez who at the time yes, i had been watching oh, yeah. on jane the virgin for three years and i was like oh my god like she's gonna be in this r-rated sci-fi horror movie with natalie portman like that's awesome mm -hmm. <laughs> And she's fucking queer. Oh, she's a big old lesbian in this movie. But yes, so <laughs> moving on. So Garland explained that his adaptation was necessarily based on only the first novel in the trilogy. Because at the point at the time he started working on it, there was only one of these three books, which I think he actually even got the book when it was a manuscript, like before it actually came out. He knew it was planned as a trilogy by Vandermeer, but because he only had that manuscript, he didn't think too much about the trilogy side of it. But coincidentally, many of the things that Garland incorporated into his script for Annihilation were also elements of those two sequel books, and he had no idea about that. Yeah, it's definitely not a direct adaptation, which I did see a lot of people taking issue with when the film came out. I would say that this is a very good adaptation because it keeps the spirit of the book close. You know, I think people who like the book will take quibble with that comment. But at the end of the day, I mean, so much of the book is about what you imagine they're experiencing. And I think that Garland does a good job of realizing that in a way that 
still evokes it, even though obviously he has to give it a concrete form. I love the way you describe that because I I may love a book, but sometimes when they make it into movies, if it's too close to the book, it's like, mm -hmm. well, I wasn't surprised in the least bit. I, exactly. I love it when they changes it up. But you said like keeps the, I think you said it keeps the spirit or mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what your words you use of the book. So, you know, then you can kind of, you can love the book and then still appreciate the movie. I agree. And I did see the same thing about, he said it was more like a dreamlike yeah. version of what he read in the book. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, you know, for, for anyone who hasn't read it, Annihilation's only a 200-page long book. Like, it's not very long. Um, the sequels are a bit longer. They're, like, in the 350 range. But it tells the story of, you know, four women who go into Area X, which is renamed the Shimmer in the film, an unspecified coastal location that has been closed to the public for three decades, changed to three years in the film. These four women are not given names. They are simply identified as their profession. So we have a surveyor, a psychologist, an anthropologist, and a biologist. The book is a bit cold and clinical because it's told from the pov of the biologist uh, who will of course be natalie portman's character in the film but it's meant to be a replica of her journals from the expedition so it's written in the way that a scientist would write notes mm -hmm. but yes as y'all said you know garland said rather than like you know have the book next to him and like write the screenplay as he's reading it he only read the book well, he read it, but then he did not return to it when writing the script. He So he had, like, the basic outline of, like, what the general premise of the film was going to be. But from then on out, he just like, yeah, I'm going to write this script based on what I can remember. But mostly, as y'all have all reiterated, with the feeling that I had when I was reading this book. That's what he wanted to get across. But yeah, the general structure is the same. Uh, the biologist's husband was part of the last expedition, just like he is in the film, but there's no affair subplot. Um, he didn't read the other two books, uh, as he was concerned that if he did read those books, he would have to revise his script for Annihilation, which he did not want to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Natalie Portman was the first one to join. She entered negotiations with the studio in May 2015, despite meeting with Garland as early as October of 2014. But they had the agreement that they would not begin production until 2016. Uh, from then on out, they cast Gina Rodriguez next. Then they got Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Um, thankfully, they were filming in the UK near Pinewood Studios, which was where they were filming Star Wars The Last Jedi. So he was able to film both films at the same time. One tiny bit of political stuff. Um, so in 2018, Garland was criticized by the Media Action Network for Asian Americans and the American Indians in film and television advocacy groups for whitewashing the roles played by Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Because in the second book, Authority, the biologist is described of being uh, of Asian descent, while the psychologist is mixed race and half indigenous, um, whereas obviously Portman and Lee are both white and Jewish. Mm. He responded to these accusations saying that there was nothing cynical or conspiratorial about the casting. Um, also because he hadn't read the second book. It wasn't ready for him when he was talking to Natalie Portman about this. But um, I, I remember this being a big deal when the film came out. I think in part because we were having a lot of conversations about like race-blind casting as well as inclusive representation you know i remember this maybe being around the same time that emma stone was getting criticized for playing an asian character in that hawaiian set movie well, that was just bad aloha <laughs> give um, me a break aloha was 2015 by the way oh, no. okay so it was like still kind of on people's radars yeah. where we i mean we've had a history of doing this it's not mm -hmm. a new thing whenever we can cast white people in diverse roles oh sure yeah we are always going to do that so i can see it being an issue but yeah you know if you trust 
Garland at if you take Garland at his word that he mm-hmm. hadn't read that and also from what I remember, don't quote me on this, yeah. but I remember the the racial descriptions in the second book or the third book, they're very slight. So it it would almost be easy to miss. I can definitely see it when you when it's there and you identify as a member of that group. You're like, cool, I want to see that on screen. But I think it also is one of those things where it's a casual mention. It could be easy to miss. It doesn't seem to really significantly play into the narrative of the film. I think you're right. Um, I, I believe it's literally like a single line in in the book for each character, but also like their race doesn't play an important part like to, to anything outside outside of those two lines. Um, I mean, also not to be like, but it's fine, but like, but it's fine <laughs> because we do have a Latina woman in here and we also have a black mm-hmm. woman in this cast. Yes, I think it's very unfortunate that, you know, I think his explanation makes sense, especially um, reading exactly what you were just talking about in that he read the book once and then he wrote it and then didn't want to go back and reread it or look at the other books because he was trying to keep it in a certain like you know, like a, like a tone, don't have anything else to influence or change what he already thought was his dream idea of the film. Right. And so it could have just been missed. And I, I, I get that explanation, but uh, you know, in our atmosphere, you have to address it. And mm-hmm. I wonder why nobody brought it up before <laughs> it was, you know, in writing it in casting. See, I'm wondering though, because it's a white man writing these books. If he didn't even mm-hmm. think it was pertinent information to disclose. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. The thing, too, is it's it, it was overlooked, I bet, by a lot of people because it's Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. I mean, I love the both of them. However, I can see if I'm reading a book and I see that someone is someone that I identify with as a brown person, I love to see that. If I see in the book, even the slightest description, it's like, I want to mm-hmm. see that when I mm-hmm. see the movie. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I totally get both sides. If I identified as someone who Natalie Portman's character was, I I would be, yeah, I would be pissed, even if it was that one-liner. But mm-hmm. I'm on the outside and I'm looking in and I'm just like, you know, it, it's hard because I love these two actresses. They're so great. So it's like, do we overlook it or do we at least address it and go from there well as a white man <laughs> no, no, I, I, I would find this to be more egregious if those lines of dialogue were in annihilation but they're not right i mean i also look at it at um, hmm, now i'm gonna stick my own foot in my mouth <laughs> I, I compare it to something like what happened with Katniss Everdeen and the casting of Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games, where like it's explicitly mentioned that she is darker skinned and it does play a role in the first book throughout the series. And then they were like, yeah, but we got this rising starlet and we really <laughs> want to cast her. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Well, yeah, so that that is all of that. Before we get to the actual release of the film, so, and I remember when this happened, too. So, the end of 2017, there was a test screening that we can say was poorly received. Um, <laughs> <laughs> David Ellison, a financier and producer at Skydance, one of the production companies behind Annihilation, became concerned that the film was, quote-unquote, too intellectual and too complicated, <laughs> and demanded changes be made to make it appeal to a wider audience. This would include making Natalie Portman's character more sympathetic, which... I would assume would mean that she doesn't cheat on her husband. I don't know what that would have entailed, but I don't know. Um, They also wanted to change the ending, which I'm also kind of like, well, your movie's coming out in two months. (laughs) What are you going to do? (laughs) 
Can we get the ladies in bikinis? Can we have them make <laughs> out with each other? How do we sell this movie? Well, it's like you had the script. Like you knew what you were financing when you got it. Unless they didn't read the script and they were just like, oh, Natalie Portman likes it. So we're good. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Or they thought it looked fine on the page, and then all of a sudden they were seeing real-life reactions to it and realizing, oh no, we've invested a substantial amount of money on this. Yeah, I had seen that bit also somewhere else about um, that Natalie Portman's character. I thought I saw that they did change or edit some of her character, uh, or at least, you know, when they edit what was already done, um, to make her more sympathetic. Because I will admit this, the, the first time I watched it, there was something about her character I just did not like. Hmm. I was, though, when I watched it today, I was, uh, I, there was still some parts that I was kind of like, and it wasn't the affair. There was just some things I think that maybe Natalie Portman thought this is the way the character should be. And that's the way she played her. And therefore, for some reason, it just uh, translated as, you know, unlikable. But I, I felt I felt for her more this time around. Maybe, you know, watch it a couple of times and, and you gain some kind of appreciation for the character but i will admit that first time there was just something about her character that i just just didn't sit right with me i want to dig into that when we get into the plot then because Mm -hmm. i want i want to try to help you figure out what it was about her you didn't like because i feel like we run into this a lot with female characters that just that yeah where it's like oh like because i mean look she is a bit emotionally distant and cold and you could even argue maybe selfish in this movie but i don't i don't know we can put a pen in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it is worth noting, though, especially in this film where there are no men except for Oscar Isaac. And technically, he's mostly in flashback. Like, I I think it's an interesting response for a studio to have where it's like, OK, well, we need to make shit. They're all women. Crap. Um, I guess we need our lead to be more likable because if nobody else, they need to go on this journey with her. Yeah. I mean, I think all these characters, save for Tessa Thompson, have very unlikable moments in this film. Yeah, but I but I liked it. I liked those things that mm-hmm. um, were complained about. I didn't think that it should be changed. I loved, like, I, when, I, when I was reading that, everything that they wanted to change, uh, it was just like, check, I like that. I like that part. I love I love flawed because characters. Because they're complicated. They're women mm-hmm. characters who yes. are complicated and flawed. And yeah, like you said, Trace, we, we really don't like it when we do that to women because we need women to be either virginal or we need them to be whores. Soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. soft or, or gentle. And <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, I don't, I don't need that. I, I love, I loved her strength and her character. I love that she was standoffish. It just that she was alone. You know, her husband's not there all the time. I, that's what I would expect to be like. Mm-hmm they're also all losing their minds that is also true <laughs> that as well <laughs> um but no but so, so on december 7th of 2017 it was announced that due to clashes between producer scott rudin and financier david ellison was happening okay so they wanted to make all these changes producer scott rudin sided with garland who did not want to alter the film and rudin actually this is interesting the producer scott rudin had final cut privilege <laughs> oh weird okay he defended the film and he refused to take notes from ellison <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, we've already got your money. Now we're just going to release the film the way we want it. Well, but here's the problem, though. So because of that, it was announced that due to the clashes between Rudin and Ellison and the shift in Paramount's leadership, a deal was struck allowing Netflix to distribute the film internationally. And so according to this deal, Paramount would handle the American, Canadian, and Chinese theatrical release, which all happened in February of 2018, and mm-hmm. Netflix would begin streaming the film in all other territories 17 days later. Right. I do remember this because the movie looks like a box office failure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This technically is considered a flop, um, which, of course, then so <laughs> wow. it backs up David Ellison's claims. Is, hey, this is people are going to go, go see this movie again. Yeah, because they could watch it at home, fucker. Yeah. So <laughs> the film was released theatrically in the United States and Canada and China on February 23rd, 2018 by Paramount Pictures and digitally in other markets on March 12th by Netflix. It opened in the number four slot with $11 million. Uh, first place, we've got Black Panther in its second week release second mm. place went to the other weekend's new release game night and which is also an r-rated film so i think that's also really important you're taking away some of the adult audience there and third place is peter rabbit in its third week of release <laughs> what? i mean i feel like peter rabbit was a secret sleeper hit it was so. uh we got a sequel like two years ago mm-hmm. but annihilation goes on to gross 32.7 million dollars domestically and 10.3 million in china since that's the only place it opened internationally and that is a worldwide total of $43.1 million against a budget of $40 million. Yeah. We just needed some of those other markets, unfortunately. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, supposedly it was a hit or at least a success on VOD, but I could not find those stats, so I do not know. Right. Uh, it did do well critically. Rotten Tomatoes, we got an 88% with an average score of 7.7 out of 10. A 79 out of 100 on Metacritic. And Letterboxd users have given it a 7.2 out of 10. Whereas audiences pulled by CinemaScore gave it an average rating of a C, which would, um, you know, lead to disastrous word of mouth and make people not want to go see it the weeks following. This is not an easy film. That's no. the sad reality. And a lot of the time people want popcorn. Well, they want answers, too, which this film doesn't. <laughs> well, it's, this film does give answers. They're just not easy answers. Yeah, it's ironic that you say that because I watched this with my husband because I basically said this is one of my favorite films that's come out in the last like five or six years. I would like you to watch it with me because you like sci-fi. I think you'll enjoy it. And he sits down with me. The movie opens and he just turns to me and says, am I going to get answers? And I said, of a kind. <laughs> I mean, the, they literally explain the whole practical practical Mm -hmm. fractal thing it's just do you understand it (laughs) it's do you understand it and do you find the film's conclusion satisfying i don't think i always need to understand it but i can appreciate it on that same on the same level i don't need to have the answers to everything and still appreciate like what is going on in in it like every every bit of it i felt like i was in it in the moment and i think it was slow enough that if you don't understand then it was okay it was okay because Mm -hmm. it seemed beautiful at points and unsettling and that was okay because it's it didn't need to be uh, answered in my opinion i just don't think i needed to have answers for everything I think it's an easier pill for me to swallow in something like cosmic horror, because in cosmic horror, the characters also don't understand what's happening. And of course, in this film, we have scientists who are trying to figure it out. But by the end of this film, even they aren't 100% sure what's happening. They are questioning mm-hmm. the, the, the what's happening in this film. So as, as long as I'm on the same level as the characters by the time the credits roll, I'm normally okay with it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just personally a fan of this kind of stuff. You know, as I was watching this, I was thinking back to some of the conversations we had about Prometheus Trace, where, you know, sometimes it's a little bit messy, it's a little bit unwieldy. And yet, the things that it's exploring, the questions it's asking, the journey Mm -hmm. these characters are going on, to me, very similar to what you just said, Alma. It's like, am I in it? Am I appreciating it? Am I liking the beauty of it? And the answer for this movie, for me, is yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so I will confess, I forgot that there was this weird kind of bracketing device or framing device where we have Lena, the Natalie Portman character, and she's being questioned by Lomax, who is played by Benedict Wong. I don't love this. I don't think it plays particularly well on rewatches. Yeah, I this is fine the funny thing is that this is actually a big part of the second book because they get mm-hmm. the the biologist double and they're interrogating her for most of that second book and garland didn't know about that <laughs> right it's kind of wild yeah he predicted it okay so we we do have lena being questioned and we're hearing about some mission that she's gone on and lomax mm-hmm. wants to know about the state of her team and eventually she comes out and says they're all dead except ventress which is interesting given the end of the film we have a lot of water in play in these scenes too which is like the visual Mm -hmm. imagery for the refraction that we'll get later oh yeah yeah you gotta keep an eye on the water glasses in this movie oh i know whenever they zoom in on a cup or somebody's being handed a glass it's like they want me to look at it (laughs) i'm like Mm -hmm. something's going to happen now with this glass but that's why i followed along so well with this because (laughs) it i was like it's slow enough for me to keep up and also the prediction of like what was coming up next almost seemed like it was the logical next step or Mm. it was a a common sense thing it was like something is going on here that we need to pay attention to and i i think that played well for me in understanding and going along with it not necessarily grasping you know but i'm just (laughs) i just mean that i understood what they were trying to accomplish (laughs) right it's it's stepping you through it at a bit of a logical pace So I will confess, I find this part a little bit confronting because you're like, okay, so we're getting into it. We're meeting this character. Tell us a story. Wait, what the fuck is happening? Why are we watching a meteor strike a lighthouse? (laughs) Did you want the movie to start with this scene instead? (laughs) Maybe. One of the things that I don't love about this adaptation is that we do get a confirmation that this is an alien entity as opposed to the book, which leaves it, it it makes you think that it could have been something that happened organically, like it was Mother Nature Ah. evolving in a certain way, whereas this is very much, it's coming from outer space. See, that's interesting. I mean, yes, yeah, it is coming, it is literally coming from outer space. But again, that's where I'm kind of like, yeah, but maybe it's like another dimension in space. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not necessarily like our solar system, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So we hop into the past, although like a lot of films we've discussed recently, Trace, this doesn't really cue us about when we're in the past or the present or the near future. You just have to kind of figure it out as you go. But we catch up with Lena in a John Hopkins classroom. She is lecturing about cancer cells. Again, this will become very important. We will see a lot of cells dividing, normal looking cells, mutated cells, other things. (laughs) Okay, I just want to say real quick, I just felt this scene was like really dumbing it down for us, (laughs) probably us stupid Americans, because I'm like, okay, 
she's what is this it's a university here mm -hmm. she's teaching to what med students already so they've gone through all this and this is elementary stuff and <laughs> i know that these people sitting you know in the classroom will have already known this this is meant for us dumb mm -hmm. americans i think <laughs> do you remember your biology in the second grade how do like... cells work <laughs> i don't think it's dumb americans i think it's just the general audience of who do, do not it's remember just general dumb people i yeah. felt general attacked <laughs> the note taking too it took me back it was a, a bag it was um we're talking about mitosis here is that really what we're doing and <laughs> everybody is furiously taking notes and i've never heard uh, of this before this is all <laughs> new to me i'm like is she reading from a book she wrote is, is she so famous and they're just hanging on every word that they're but everybody was writing notes and it was mm -hmm. like that just was a little uh, a little yeah dumbing it down i i, I would say well th this dumb audience <laughs> member who has not used the word mitosis since freshman high school biology i appreciated the crash course <laughs> <laughs> The good thing is, is this will really be the only time we kind of get it. Like, we'll get other scientific explanations. I'm really happy mm -hmm. that nobody ever says something like, don't speak science to me, speak English, or some dumb shit like that, oh, which yeah. we often mm -hmm. get. I, I just mentioned that from Event Horizon. It was like, can you speak to me like in English, please? Um, you're all in space. You're all highly <laughs> intelligent scientists. You and should be. And... <laughs> pilots and and you're asking him to speak to you like you, you know like if you don't understand or have a grasp or anything of what you're doing out in outer space come on <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's one of my least favorite script things i really don't like it it does feel like we've maybe moved away from it but yeah if you watch a movie in the 90s that has anything to do with space or science you're gonna get oh can you don't talk jargon to me talk english to me yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay so lena steps outside of the class and she is talking to dan who is played by david gyasi and he is basically like hey i'm having a barbecue you should come this weekend and she's like oh no i don't think i can make it i'm repainting my bedroom which sounds like the worst blow off you have ever heard mm. it does turn out she's actually doing that but also because <laughs> this is a man that she's been having an affair with and she's not ready to interact with him and that's because her husband has been missing for a year so we see photos of sergeant kane who is played by oscar isaac and then uh all of a sudden that weekend he shows up but he's acting a little bit different by not acting at all he's just there <laughs> he is like a somnambulist yeah yeah, so I appreciated her anger during that scene when he comes in and she confronts him. I mean, yeah, she's going to be happy that he's there, but also really pissed off that mm -hmm. obviously whatever it was, even if it was this secret, top secret type of thing that made it so that he could not come and say, hey, I'm alive. She, her character was angry at him and yelling at him and wanting answers. And I really mm -hmm. appreciated that they did that with the character rather than just hugging and like, oh, great, mm -hmm. you're home. You know, she wants answers. We want answers. What what the hell was going on during this year? Well, he didn't know. Right. <laughs> Everything's I don't know. I just can't imagine how difficult it would be in her position, right? Where she's so excited. She does hug him. And he's giving her nothing. He's like a complete stranger to her. And I love that we move from the bedroom, where we're going to see intimate acts later on in the film, to the kitchen, which is very much, okay, I'm sitting a distance mm -hmm. away from you. I want answers now. 
I will say one thing I do love though is that because yeah, I'm walking into a movie. I know it's a sci-fi movie. I know we're going to be in like the the uh, the grasslands or jungle or whatever the fuck for most of it. Mm-hmm. How normal or like how modern all the settings are in the first act of this film. Like I, I'm not walking into a sci-fi movie expecting oh that just looks like a house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so one other very normal average thing that we see is he drinks a glass of water, except that when he puts the glass down, suddenly it has blood in it, he's seizing, we're in an ambulance, and we're being surrounded by black SUVs. Now, was I the only one that was scared at this moment? Because as she's asking the questions over and over, not getting the answers, it was more than just unsettling to me. I knew that there was something wrong. And the the more questions he asked, the the, the le- you know, the more she got an I don't know and a no answer mm-hmm. was just, it was frightening to me. And I felt that it showed a lot about her compartmentalizing, that you could tell that she's done that for a long time. He leaves. She doesn't have answers. She doesn't know where he's mm-hmm. going. And so, therefore, she is more, you know, standoffish about um, giving away any of her emotions. She's more protective of herself. But that just was, it was frightening to me because you could tell that he probably wasn't like that. Um mm-hmm. I could guess that he was probably the more open one in the relationship. I don't know. I'm probably inferring too much. But just (laughs) the way that he just, he was scary. It was scary not to have answers. And she was standing there like she's almost doing an interrogation and getting nothing. And I'm like, you're a scientist, you're a doctor, you, you know, like, why aren't you freaking out? Like I would have been. (laughs) Well, Dahlia, I have a question for you. Has has Natalie Portman's character done anything that you found unlikable yet? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I think she's behaving the way her character should. No, but I, I was just thinking about that right now because I'm like, I, I'm thinking back. It's like, what is it? What is it about it that, you know, but I guess the further we get along in the movie, you know, I'll figure it out. But just want to say real quick, the way the husband was uh, responding and, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the husband and the others, you know, for, you know, yes. it comes back, so, oh, yeah. sometimes I bleed. <laughs> That, that line when he says that, I'm like, that's not a normal thing. Why? Yeah, I get, I get more freaked out. I'm obviously the one who feels the scariness in um, every situation a lot more. That's an interesting response, though, Alma, because I'm I'm thinking back to how I don't really love the interrogation scenes between Natalie Portman's character and Lomax. And yet what you just said, oh, he's not giving anything. He's acting very not standoffish, but he's he's just not reciprocating. He's not acting like a regular person. In hindsight, that's how she's acting with Lomax, and that should have been a hint that she has been changed in the same way that her husband has been changed. Yeah, I saw a lot of that mirroring in uh, certain parts of the film that we'll probably mention later. You'll notice as well, or you notice, Not mirroring, course. refracting. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. yeah, in that, in that first situation, she's getting interrogated, and then she shows him, yeah, that's... That, yeah, probably just because I I swear, because I thought this movie was so beyond me. And I had my husband sitting next to me, he'd seen it before. And I had him to ask him a question. He doesn't care because I can just ask 100 questions. Like, um, <laughs> are you scared? Am I supposed to be scared? And I'm like, uh, he's, she's, she's asking him so many questions. Is he going to answer any? Yeah, I'm really annoying like that with people who've seen <laughs> the movie before. But uh, I was glad that I had him because at certain points it was um, it was so helpful because I thought I was missing something, but then it turns out, no, I'm not missing anything. I'm not getting an answer. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Yeah, the movie unfurls slowly, but we're definitely not getting any answers in these early scenes. Mm -mm. All right, so after the vehicle surround the ambulance, Lena is sedated, and then she wakes up after we get a title card that says Area X. We are introduced to psychologist Dr. Ventress, no first name, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. I gotta say, between this and Possessor, I was gonna I'm say. just like, I love this kind of like Dom Butch bitch Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes, I loved it. I loved it. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> She's super sexy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, because that she is the most unlikable because I mean, she's not she's not a villain per se, but she is so like she doesn't care about anyone else except just finding this goddamn lighthouse. (laughs) Well, as we said, you know, you can be an antagonist and it doesn't make you bad. It just means that you're in competition or you're opposing the protagonist, who in this case is Lena. Right, 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 right. But of course, we learn eventually, you know, she's sick. And she's just, but I, I actually love her motivation for wanting to go in the first place. I mean, obviously, yes, we know she has terminal cancer. But even just her, like, I've spent three years watching people go in and not mm-hmm. come out. I've seen, I've spent three years watching drones go in and not come out. Like, at some point, you just get tired of watching. Absolutely. You want to know, she's so close, right? Literally, she's so close. (laughs) She's so close. (laughs) She's a, what is it again? A psychologist? Psychologist, yeah. Mm -hmm. When I read about the descriptions of the people, they all, they're all different kinds of scientists. And there Mm -hmm. was something in particular about her character because I anticipated her discussing why she chose everybody and why they were there, like in particular, and how they came about being chosen. But it was another character who was the one who said the reasons behind each person, and it kind of made sense as to why each one of them was there. Like, she was the one with cancer, she doesn't have friends, she's uh, lonely in the world, this is what she does, she's watched all these people. Every But every explanation made a lot of sense as to why why they were there, their purpose, and why they would go in there after knowing that so many people had disappeared but it was another scientist uh shepherd right who gave those explanations and i just wondered why i think that's actually key though because if we have ventress doing it to lena to be like oh yeah we and, you know we get their fucking like little id card up as ventress explaining why they got picked for it. It, it i think the reason we don't have that is because the way we have it is in a camaraderie like conversation between them as they're all meeting well as lena's meeting them like i feel like it primes us as an audience to to relate to them more. Whereas if it was Ventress saying all this, it's more like, okay, like I guess I'll meet these people later. I would agree with that. I think it also keeps us removed from Ventress, who is kind yeah. of the character that we get to know the least about, and she does feel standoffish. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we learned that Lena does have seven years of military training, and we learned that Kane is alive in this facility. So not only are we seeing the Shimmer for the first time, and my husband described it as looking like when you blow like a bubble when you're a child, when you get those little things and you dip them in the in the bottle and then you blow it. Yeah, I, I put soap bubbles in my in my notes. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for not helping me until the second time around. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I was really hoping you would figure it out for yourself, but then I jumped in to rescue. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the visual representation of this. This is definitely one of those pieces that Jeff Vandermeer kind of leaves to your imagination. Like, he describes it, but I think people would interpret it very differently. And this feels like a very great visual representation. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, so yeah, we learned that this thing appeared three years ago, that it is expanding, and that everything that goes into it does not come back. So uh, this is a unique phenomenon. And then we get this flashback. So the first of several flashbacks where Kane and Lena are talking, it's often... uh, we will come to realize that it is before Kane ships out on the mission where he went into the Shimmer. But mm. it's important that they're talking here about God and God making mistakes and whether or not that doesn't happen. And this is where she mentions the idea of cells. So there's a certain kind, uh, senescent, that they stop multiplying, but they don't die like others. And that's because aging is actually a fault in our cells. So um, senescent cells are more like they're closer to God and they're kind of abnormal, but they're actually more of what we were intended to be. And obviously this, you know, we've already seen cells once. This is our second discussion of it. It will play a major part to come. Oh, that's interesting because of the introduction of one of the first monsters that we see is an alligator and they don't necessarily die from old age, right? They, Mm -hmm. um, they die from disease and other things. And then that's one of the mutated creatures that they see when they are in the shimmer. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, like, look, we can pause about what this entity wants to do, if it wants anything at all. But it seems like, yeah, it's trying, as we learn later, you know, it's it's uh, it's creating something new. But it's mm-hmm. going through a lot of trials <laughs> as these uh-huh. things keep dying. I guess if it leaves the shimmer, they start dying. But even like the flowers that are on the walls, I think Lena even says at one point, it's like they're malignant tumors on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's, I think, a lot of conversation to be had in this film about not just whether this entity is malicious or if it wants to kill us or if it is actually just creating something new. But I think even how do we... How do we look at what's happening to these characters? Like, I think that there's actually a positive reading of what happens to people when they go into the shimmer. It's just that we've been trained by various science fiction films to look at, oh, this thing is threatening. It is trying to hurt them. It's changing them for the worst. Whereas you could look at this as it's helping people in some ways. Um, Explain. Well, I think it applies most directly to Josie, so we can wait for the scene where Josie kind of pieces out in this film. Gotcha. But mm-hmm. yeah, I guess just overall, like we've been trained to assume that anybody changing from a human form into something else is always bad. And I don't know that that's always the case in this film. Okay, I totally appreciate that, the way you said that. I Because I, we do, we think everything that's going on that's different is bad. So yeah, I appreciate the way you worded that. I mean, I should clarify, there's a bunch of bad shit that happens in this film to people yes, too, where- they mutate in awful ways and that's not good <laughs> well i've seen other reads of this I, I remember god i mean i don't know if it was one article or several that came out when the when the film came out but it was comparing you know, saying that the film was an allegory for cancer which obviously mm-hmm. you can see that but also sure. each character and their demise or non-demise i guess is like a reaction that someone would have to cancer so you know like mm-hmm. uh, uh lena wants to fight it uh uh, uh josie accepts it uh right. therefore her death is more uh peaceful ventress wants to study it it's uh, it's all this stuff i wish i would have pulled the quote actually but i didn't read the article <laughs> but I, I remember reading when it came out and i was like oh that's a really interesting way of looking at it if you if, if you just look at this whole movie as a metaphor right yeah which as we know now, Alex Garland is occasionally fond of doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it really uh, hits you over the head with that hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have more to say about the cancer as we go through. But it 
I definitely remember seeing that reading and thinking that it is valid, particularly when you start to break down how many of these characters have interacted with or have cancer themselves. Exactly. All right. So we're still in this flashback. I will say I like this genuine human moment where Lena and Kane, you know, he's like, well, don't worry, I'll be under the same hemisphere. And she accuses him of thinking she's just some damsel who looks up at the stars when he's not there. (laughs) And then they fool around a little bit. I thought it was a very important moment for believing in their relationship. Definitely. For sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was needed because um, the only other introduction we have is this um, him being you know, not answering anything (laughs) and weird. And I'm scared, but she's not. So this was very nice to see that very human like moment. And it's really proof that, oh, that's a stark difference from the introduction to his character that we saw. Like, this is night and day different. He's a real human being in these flashbacks. So uh, on the roof that night, this is when Lena is introduced to the other members of the team. So we have paramedic Anya Thorinson, who is played by Gina Rodriguez. We have a geomorphologist Cassie Shepard, who is played by Tuva Novotny. And then finally, physicist Josie Reddick, who is played by Tessa Thompson. And I love this cast. I think oh, yeah. these women are so fucking good. It's a great mm-hmm. cast. Yeah. Um, my problem, my only problem is um, that Alma knows this, is that I can't keep everyone's name straight. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'll be looking at my notes often if I just refer to somebody, you know, that one person who did this. <laughs> that's why. You can do what I do. I just say the actor name sometimes. So I'm like, Natalie Portman yeah. did this instead of Lena oh, did yeah, this. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Well, especially when some of them have first names. So we only know Lena. We don't know Lena's last mm. name. And the same with Kane. Whereas we only know the last name of Dr. Ventress. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, Ugh, this is a little frustrating. But I will say sometimes it's easier to keep these actresses separate than in the book where you're just like, the biologist. Mm. Oh. oh, a surveyor. Wow. Like, what the fuck yeah. is a surveyor? <laughs> <laughs> she reads maps. <laughs> okay, so we discover very casually that Anya is gay because Cassie accuses her of hitting on everyone <laughs> and she's very nonchalant about it and I fucking love oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting though because and like I don't think I mean it's just because she goes insane but like I actually would argue that that Anya is the most unlikable character in this movie mm-hmm. because of what she does later in the film. <laughs> yes, I started getting annoyed with her. I think she, and that that was the thing. It's like with Lena, I was never annoyed by her. Um her answers, why she chose to keep everything, you know, about her husband a secret, none of that. It all just kind of seemed like a logical thing for this character to be doing mm-hmm. where I was getting a little upset at Anya like, "You know what you're doing in here? You know why you well, came." <laughs> but, but 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 that's the thing though because you know, when, she, when she gives her big speech pre-bear attack, it's mm-hmm. she, it seems like the most weak-willed of all of them. To, uh, that That's kind of the order in which they start to lose their minds. And Anya clearly mm. thought she knew what she was getting herself into, but didn't. Right. Yes. She, she's, when she does that stuff pre-bear attack, like, I don't think that's even her mm-hmm. anymore. Like, she has lost oh, her Oh, I mind. agree with that. I don't think mm-hmm. it's her anymore either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see why people would look at her and say, Ugh, she's kind of the least likable. She is the one who loses her mind, especially mm-hmm. on the grand scale. Like you could argue, I think, Trace, you've already said they're all kind of losing their mind throughout the course of the film. Right. I appreciate her more on rewatches where I think, you know what? She's the only one who's actually being 
legitimate and open about her emotional state. And to me, maybe that's being generous with a queer character and also an actress that I do like. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I find on repeated watches, I look at the way that Anya reacts and she's very honest about how she's feeling and what she thinks should happen, whereas everybody else tries to put up an air or a front. Like Josie withdraws and Ventress Mm -hmm. and Lena go into science mode. And I think Cassie is the other genuine person, but she's also the first person to die. Yeah, but I would also argue that I think that Anya kind of puts up an air of toughness about her that maybe is a mask. But Mm -hmm. I also think that that's part of being queer. Yes. Yeah, because I did see her as the strong character. I wanted her to be, and I think that's why it just got frustrating, but then... It, it made sense. She was being very real. She, when she had fear, um, when she had a question, she asked it and it was like, she makes sense. She wants mm-hmm. to get the hell out of there. She's scared and and nobody else is admitting those things and they become frustrating. But with her character is kind of more the frustration I felt was that I wanted her to right. remain strong and yeah. she, I wanted her to be the one who kind of, I felt like, Oh, she looked like a badass. She was my Vasquez. She was my, yeah, yeah, you know, I wanted her to, to go out like, oh, she's going to be amazing. That's what I anticipated. So it was just like a little bit like, oh, kind of a letdown, I guess, maybe to myself that she wasn't there the whole time. But that's the thing that I'm saying, though. I mean, like, like, she puts on this mask of toughness, but she's, I mean, I mean, quote unquote, just a paramedic. I mean, she's probably been a paramedic (laughs) in the army, but it isn't until Cass's death that she really starts to exhibit these symptoms symptoms of uh, of insanity yeah i mean i take your point alma i think it's also it's nice to see a woman of color who is a badass and there's something slightly disappointing when she doesn't quote-unquote live up to our expectations i liked your comparison to vasquez because i do think that that's very apt but it is better because you know gina roderick is actually actually a woman of color it's actually (laughs) (laughs) she didn't have to get painted up (laughs) (laughs) yes but yeah the the character herself and um you know i just maybe it was like selfish reasons for each person like i think i would have not minded you know if we lost lena and it's just like i was trying to hold hold on (laughs) i wanted her to live you know i'm like i didn't know that came out of nowhere unfortunately unfortunately, we are not getting flashbacks to anya's life we are getting flashbacks to lena's life (laughs) it's true Okay, so after we get this introduction, we we learn that they are going to be the first all-female team to ever go into the Shimmer. I do love that moment. That's why I included it in my opening that we say, oh, okay, we're, we're women who are going into the Shimmer. And it's like, scientists. Well, again, yeah, I can say we're, yeah, we're all-female scientists, whereas everyone else before us has been military. And of course, right. men. Yes, but... Yeah. but do, do we know if anyone besides Lena has military experience? They don't say, I don't think I don't know. they do. I thought Anya was. I think they'd have I, to. That's what I, I was thinking Anya was a paramedic in the military. But like, what, yes. is the, what does the military need for a geomorphologist? Well, they they definitely got military training because they were together, what, nine months before they went in. And so they obviously make a point that even though they didn't say it, that they all got that training and then Lena comes in and she didn't need that training because she's already been exposed to, you know, having been seven years in the military before it was just like nothing to her to come back to it. Um, But even if they weren't, they all got that training. You can tell, and they made, it it looks like they did a good job as the actors 
to make sure mm-hmm. that they carried themselves as though they had had that training. Mm-hmm. I, I, I assume that there was some sort of offshoot of some kind of military just by the uniformity, the heavy bags, the rucksacks, you know, that very heavy and the guns. They they didn't ask for anything. Um, they were kind of the rations. They it like they were very well trained. And I assumed uh, prior service or in the military active somehow. If I remember correctly in the book, this doesn't happen as quickly. So Lena actually ends up, you know, deciding, oh, okay, well, my husband went into this thing. I'm going to go in after him. And she ends up working with the women. So it's not like she meets them. And then the next day, they all go into the shimmer together. Mm -hmm. So she has actually formed relationships with the women. And they have all had either extensive training, or they, they had a background in this that would make them suitable candidates to go in and and hold their own. And you said in the books that it takes about three decades before they they're at the point where they're at that the shimmer has existed. Oh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So but, but yeah, but this thing has existed for three decades, but like I don't know oh, if, wow. if the Ventress characters are like cuz what they do in the book is um like the husband's expedition was the 11th expedition right. and so they're the 12th, but what happens when they get to the lighthouse, they find all these notebooks from previous expeditions and the husband's was marked Expedition 11G, which means there were multiple 11th mm-hmm. expeditions. And so it's there's been like it's cover-ups and paranoia and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so there's been maybe more than 100 expeditions over the course of the 30 years while this thing is still expanding. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I appreciate that they would have changed that to kind of three years because how uh, were they able to... That's too many questions for me. I would have been mm-hmm. like, how did they keep it a secret for so long? How did nobody know about this? And in three years, that seems like a short period of time that makes sense that they're rushing things. So Ventress hints at this in the film, and I I am I think it's the same thing in the book where they basically say it's like um oh god like like in the movie they say it's an oil spill so they blocked it off so no one can go through no one can come in i think in the book it might be like oh it's like you know top secret government like um testing site or something yeah they they built up some bullshit lie so that people don't go in there and they do patrol the perimeter and all that kind of stuff and it's probably a no-fly zone yeah but in the film it obviously makes it easier to not just believe but i think also it clamps down on the need for additional exposition or backstory so you can say yeah there's probably been a couple of expeditions but also we don't have to worry about this mountain of journals as a big secret reveal like we can kind of focus on the more narrow story that we're telling right uh okay so all of this to say that lena learns that this team is going in her husband is there but she's not going to do him any good she wants to go in and find out what happened to him so she asked to join the team and because of this military background she is accepted and so uh off we go and this is where we get the title card the shimmer but she does not tell anyone else besides ventress obviously who already knows that she is kane's wife Correct. Yes. She is quizzed about why she did that. And she said she didn't want to make it more complicated. And you can you can kind of see Ventress making all these mental notes. Okay, this could be important. I'm going to make a note of that. We'll see if it comes back up later. Okay, so we get a brief scene of Lena having sex, but not with her husband, Kane, but rather with Dan, the guy who asked her to the barbecue and then she wakes up in a tent. And my, my husband was like, is that a hallucination? Is that a flashback? What is that? Oh. I said, you'll just have to wait. I knew it. I knew it. They did such a great job in that in that brief, just like, I don't know, like one minute conversation. He puts his 
arm, he puts his hand and embraces her arm mm-hmm. in a way intimate, that I right? said, yes, it's very intimate. I said, oh, they're having an affair. My husband's like, ah. how did you know that? And I was like, so when that <laughs> happened, I was like, I knew it. <laughs> and I think that that helps. <laughs> also, the way he talks about her husband, he's like, uh, he's been gone for a year. Get over that already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very, your dead husband isn't going to give you a deep dicking, but you could come oh to my, my barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> It wasn't, I love my wife, but oh, we have something. That's the way he said that. It's like, uh, I love my wife. What was the other thing he said? Um, she, There's no fault in, in, that, in her or something like that. I don't blame her. Whatever the, his words were, it kind of pissed me off. It's like, uh, yeah, it's not her fault, dude. You're the one over here <laughs> fucking someone who's not your wife. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. But yeah it would... And it, it was good, though, because he had a connection with her. He's telling her we sh- we have so much in common. And she's like, get out. Because she has a connection with her husband. He, she only has one yeah. thing in common yeah, with him. Yeah, she was just like, right this, is just, this is just a fling, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> See, I find Dan the most unlikable character in this movie. Oh, my God. Y'all... <laughs> I don't even know. Dan's not a character. <laughs> he yeah, has a it. name, Trace. It's more than some other people get. That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. So this is a brief glimpse. Yes, we, we will come back to this scene. We'll, we'll see it sort of repeated and expanded upon later. As you said, we'll hear more about Dan then. But for now, Lena is waking up and she's clearly disoriented. She wakes up in a tent and the others are there, but they all acknowledge yeah, none of us remember what happened when we crossed the border into the Shimmer, but judging by the rations, we've been here for three to four days. And that's when mm-hmm. I get scared. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's scary. We've been eating. We've just been moving around on autopilot and we don't mm-hmm. know anything from the previous three days. And they're all cool with it. Well, memory loss really freaks me out. It's it's one of those things that, that terrifies me. You know, just as we get older, it's something that, that I'm afraid will happen to me. And then... Also, like when you have surgery, you know how you lose memory oh, of the yeah. things around mm. your your surgery. Oh my god! Like wh- I did what? What did I say? Um, it just <laughs> you close your eyes and then just waking up. It's it just freaks me out. So this this scene unsettled me. Well, and this is some this is an interesting change from the book too, because the book has a whole subplot that is removed from this film, in which the Ventress character has actually hypnotized all of them. And she has code words that she will use um, to put them in a hypnotic state. And so in the book, when this happens, that's the explanation for it. Also, in the book, the word annihilation is her code word to have them kill themselves. So that's completely different from the annihilation we get in the actual film. Oh, shit. It's something I really like in the book, and I don't think it would have worked here at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. No, I think the substitutions, the changes so far that you've mentioned are things that make sense for a film version of something. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, the absence of what was going on is a lot better than trying to explain what you just said. Everything, it, it, it makes sense. The tie-ins, you said the affair also wasn't something that was mentioned in the book. And in this case, it, it almost makes sense um, to include something. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I just every every bit of it it makes it makes sense for for a film where you ask less questions. And I'm surprised because we still have so many. I think the <laughs> affair thing is important though because I mean again the, the whole like the, the self destruction and we have that conversation later between uh-huh. suicide and self destruction. But Lena, a big part of her character is that she blames herself 
for Kane uh-huh. taking this job because she believes that he took yes. it because he found out about the affair. Oh, yes. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. I almost That is the, the train of thought I was trying to head to. I'm sorry. But, no, it's good. <laughs> yeah, because that is exactly uh, exactly what it is because it's almost a point of realization where you see it in her face, in her action, that she's like, that's why he came. Um, because if he knew this was a quote unquote, like suicide mission, everybody who's gone in there has not returned. And we know that this is the 11th. Nobody's come back. He didn't tell her where he's going or that he may not come back, but he was aware that this was probably not going to, he probably was not going to return. And he was okay with that. And he moved on, especially when he left her at home and didn't answer any questions without Mm -hmm. a kiss, without anything. It was like, ah, he knows. But it it was more than that. But yes, definitely it could have been like a key factor that I felt was why he left. Which is so interesting because from what I know of, yeah, because I know so much about like black op military, but I don't know that he would have been able to refuse an order, like given the kind of line of work that he's in. So it's interesting to me that Lena ends up using this as an excuse for making herself feel bad whereas even if kane knew he might have just it might have just been okay well i know this thing now but also i've got to go and do this job i mean we don't have quite enough information like kane sort of also isn't quite a character like we know him before we know him after but it's little glimmers and they're filtered through lena's memory so we can't even trust that that's really him so much as how she remembers him. He's like the Sean Bean character in Silent Hill. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Where are the men? <laughs> <laughs> also, who cares? <laughs> so we have a little bit of a conniption fit when we realize, okay, none of our equipment is going to work. And how are we going to do this? And then Cassie reorients them using the sun and Ventra says, cool, we know what we're doing. We're going to head out. So she resumes control. We head to a hut and it's got a a kind of shed to it where you could park a boat. There's some other things. So they start to explore. And this is where we come across our first mutation. So there's different species of flower, but they are discovered to all belong to the same plant. And they seem to be constantly mutating. See, and this is scary. (laughs) Something that is constantly mutating right in front of your face. But I love that it's presented beautifully, right? Like these flowers are pretty, so they don't seem particularly threatening, especially compared to the giant albino alligator we're about to encounter. Man, the fact that we get some aquatic horror in this movie, fucking love that shit. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the flower thing, uh, to talk about that, I, I love that she was explaining it to everybody else because they just saw this as a beautiful thing. Oh, they're beautiful flowers. They're everywhere. They're, they're even, um, mirrored on the buildings. It's like, they shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's explaining how, um, then none of those things should be together. And this is why already, I wish I didn't know that they had tried to um, represent this as an alien thing, because I felt that it was more like a confused thing. Like this, this shimmer, what's going on inside of it was confused and almost trying to mimic what it thought thing life should be like. Oh, I, I, I think you can still read it like that, even if it is an alien, though. Mm-hmm. I, but I, I thought of it more as organic, something that might happen right. 
um, you know, organically. But yeah, I guess it would be, you know, uh, easily explainable both ways. But I I really didn't see it as threatening even. uh, And that's why when we have our first monster, it was like, oh, shit, maybe it is. Because the flower (laughs) thing was was beautiful. And it was like, oh, it's confused. Like, it doesn't know what to do. It's trying and it's trying to do something here, but it doesn't know how. And then we have the the big alligator shark. <laughs> well, that's what I said, because yeah, the, the flowers are so pretty. I'm surprised we didn't have any kind of like poison flowers in this movie. But um, yeah, the alligator I'm is that we didn't. Because yeah. I, I think it would have actually confused the issue. Like having these two back to back. So the pretty flowers that are not threatening versus this alligator, which is threatening, but they're both mutations. So it's kind of, to me, it's suggesting that the things that get modified, it amplifies or refracts their true nature so you know if these flowers just happen to be flowers then they're not going to become evil or something whereas this gator is like oh i'm a big albino gator now and i can eat people more easily well and it has you know the 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 aggressiveness of a gator and a shark inside of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh i do love okay so it it attacks josie and lena puts it down so we can see very clearly that she is a super capable soldier and then we get the first of a couple of these great pov shots from inside things yeah and I love that we just get to see a full glimpse of this double row of teeth. Uh-huh. I was like instantly I was like, oh my gosh, it has shark teeth. And mm-hmm. then you automatically are, you know, thrown into this is a mutation. This is making sense now, especially with Lena almost uh, giving like a monologue. And I like that you told me that there were these journals that she kept because it does read like that. It's like playing out like if it's somebody reading it. Um, her explanations are like an academic would be giving to us and therefore it was you know it made sense <laughs> i just love the way it looks i would love to have been in the same room with that brought it home <laughs> just had new uh, have a new friend uh, scare no. people with <laughs> i want the prop i don't want the exactly, actual live exactly. animal <laughs> so we do jump back to the interrogation with lomax at this point and she notes that the mutations get more severe as they went but that they likely weren't hallucinations because the women are sharing them so they're not individual and i'm like okay that's kind of cool but also is this information we actually need because the movie will tell us this as we go i did like though that that she mentioned it though because the further you get in the the mutations are actually they're they're more intense or whatever right Mm -hmm. but on the outside of it like it's because you know it's growing so those mutations near the near the border are not going to be as intense. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that because sometimes I, I would forget like, you know, how far they're in, you know, the whole thing at the lighthouse. I appreciate those little moments to be reminded. That's just me though. Well, but e- so even like, cause in this next scene, we're about to get, you know, in the, the boats, like Lena notices a bruise on her arm. And I actually mm-hmm. was a little disappointed that doesn't really come to anything because I was expecting that to be another mutation. Me too. Uh-huh. It was like, and she was totally fine with it. Oh, it's just a bruise. I would have been, uh, but I thought it was part of her character that she was playing it down and then something would happen with it. But I think that's the spot, isn't it, that she ends up with the tattoo? Oh, yes, you are correct. That yeah, might be that it might then. Be. That, yeah, okay. That, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah I think I you're right. totally missed that, I'll mm-hmm. confess. <laughs> yeah. So Trace, yes, you just guide us to the next piece. So it's a quieter moment. They're traversing this kind of lake in separate canoes. So Cassie... 
I found this another interrogation of sorts where Cassie is doing it in a very low key kind of way. You know, hey, Lena, tell me everything I need to know about you. Tell me about your husband. Hey, I'll tell you about the other team members. (laughs) So we learned that Anya is a former addict. Josie was a cutter. Ventress has no human connection, seemingly. And then Cassie lost a daughter to leukemia. So they're all broken in some shape, way or form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which, again, kind of makes sense to our earlier discussion, right? Where who would volunteer for an expedition like this? People who maybe don't have as much to lose because they are either broken or they feel like they don't maybe deserve to live. And as a result, they're willing to lay their life down to find out the truth. Well, and they all have components. All of their traits are things about self-destruction, right? They're annihilating their Mm -hmm. own bodies. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I really, I really like this. It's it's one of the few times in a, a like a sci-fi um, movie, anywhere that has a lot of science playing into it, where they kind of explain everything to you like you're like you don't know anything. In mm-hmm. this case, it it made perfect sense at the time, and getting the information that she did was like we needed to know why they were there oh, and sure. calm and. Um, basically volunteering to co- go somewhere where they're not going to return. I mean, they went in and it's like, you don't know you're going to come back. In fact, you're not coming back. That's how I would have entered. I would have entered the shimmer knowing I'm not going to come back. Nobody's come back. What would make them think that they are going to return? Mm-hmm. And each one of them is a very flawed you know, uh, but they're also very strong and independent people. Um, those things that she brought up aren't something that doesn't make them capable. It makes them more probably brave and just more uh, into the cause, what they're trying to accomplish. They're in it 100%. Yeah. So we make our way through the open gates to Fort Amaya Army Base. And yeah, this is where we get to see more mutations on the side of the wall. So these aren't flowery. These actually look a lot more like cancer. And again, kudos to the production design, because I think all of these mutations are really striking, particularly when they have a practical effect to them, as opposed to like the dual albino deer things later on, where they're very just clearly CGI. CGI, mm-hmm. yeah. Good. Um, I did. I did note, by the way, that Lena refers to all these women as guys. Oh, does she? Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh. guys, come here, look at this. I <laughs> and I was like, ah, that. okay. Fucking gendered language. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> said earlier we're scientists and hot women <laughs> hey scientists come look at this there we go <laughs> ladies <laughs> oh boy so the base is abandoned but lena quickly finds proof that kane's team stopped there she finds a guard rotation she suggests they do the same and then ventress finds a memory card and we play this video and this is very confronting. You anticipate something bad is going to be on the tape, but you don't expect to see Kane cutting a guy's stomach open and seeing intestinal eels inside. Honestly, Ooh, I love it. It's not even the eels for me. It's when he's peeling back oh, the stomach yeah. skin. That like, peels. That, it's so, it's so thick. It's like that's actual skin. It feels like I. anytime anything happens in a movie where it has anything to do with the abdomen, it just, mm-hmm. I can almost feel it and it makes me queasy inside. But they did it so well and it was so scary. And it's like, and the guy is volunteering to let this happen to himself. And that's the thing. It's like, uh, we see some of the, the scientists are like, oh no, he's he's doing this to him where we should be seeing it as this man is letting them do this to him yeah it seems like he starts off as a willing 
recipient and then when it becomes bad then he tries to struggle and it's like nope we've already opened you up let's see what's inside yeah i'm like what would you do you see that inside of you and it's just this isn't real i was getting a lot of the ruins from this like where it's like (gasps) oh oh, like no yeah he well he's like no get it out cut it out cut it something's inside Uh me cut it out yes Because you would know, right? You would feel different. Yeah, the moving inside of you and, oh, it's just, and it looks, it looks amazing. But I do love this idea, though, that, like, you know, who you are as a person or how your brain works also kind of determines the mutations you're getting, right? So what must this man have been to get this as his mutation? (laughs) Oh, He's got an upset stomach. He's got IBS. (laughs) Yeah, oh my God. (laughs) I'll give you some irritation. I love that they had the foresight to to record it, record things, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking like, okay, for the next people that come along, that way they get a little bit more of the puzzle. Um, Because you could write and and write letters or throw things on the chalkboard all you want, but Mm -hmm. until you actually see it with your own eyes, that's that's completely different. Well, it's hilarious that you say that, Dahlia, because the first reaction that Anya has to this is that it's not real. It's a trick of the light. We didn't see what we actually saw. And you can tell this is this is already Anya sort of falling off. You know, yeah, she's she, a, she's in denial. She's in extreme yeah. denial. <laughs> she cannot accept this. But the reality is, it's like that guy's body is literally over in the empty pool in the next room over. So we wander over, find it again. The production design on this man's exploded cancer body is fucking perfect. Man, I'm going to tell you, too, in the in the days when we did not have a Last of Us TV show adaptation, this was giving <laughs> me all I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because once again, we're talking fungus, right? I mean, it's so mm-hmm. funny how I think people are going to retroactively look at things and be like, oh, they're doing a Last of Us thing. And the reality mm-hmm. is, is we've been doing fungus shit and cancer shit for a very long time. Well, at least... A half decade. It was so bizarre and I couldn't help. I look at everything and I love that it was something that they let us, you know, you you might get a glimpse in movies or they show it for a second. No, she's up there uh, collecting samples. Alina oh, yeah. is all in there and they're letting us mm-hmm. take in the whole scope of this and letting you decide, is this something that you're going to be okay with? Or, and obviously, yes, Anya's reaction is totally normal and expected. I would not want that to be real. I would not want to accept it. I always put myself in this situation. Am I going to survive this movie? If I was in this movie, would I live or do I want to live? And either I'm going to end up being like Anya or Josie. I don't, either I'm going to lose it and (laughs) not accept that this is reality, or I'm going to just accept it and hope for the peace in death well now that i'm thinking about it i mean we all kind of came down on anya as the person who's more emotional she's more volatile she's not living up to the expectations that we wanted this character to deliver do you think it's also because she's the person who's going in there and she doesn't get to perform her job because her job is to heal people and maybe that's the one thing that nobody in this movie gets to do like as soon as you go into the shimmer you're kind of fucked because your cells are already mutating and being damaged and and infected but like she can't do anything to save any of these people yeah and that's the thing like she's a paramedic she's not like a researcher she's not a doctor she's not like paramedic is a form of doctor i guess but like she's not i don't know do we think she has the, the, the educational background to study this type of stuff does a paramedic have that i wouldn't think so but i mean obviously she needed like you said she needed that something to be able to fix 
paramedics come in when they need to take care of someone in an emergent situation. And other Mm -hmm. than these few things happening, that wasn't part of her job description. So I, I like that, that you're saying that maybe it's because she didn't have a purpose yet to fulfill. Um, it's mm-hmm. just been periphery things that happen really quick. And so she never got that chance to actually jump into action. Well, and actually that makes sense as to why Cass sends her over the edge, because not only does Cass die and that's when, when it happens, but also right. whenever she tries to follow Lena to go find Cass, Lena's like, no, I'll go by myself, paramedic. Yeah. Like you're not even letting her look at the body and make that determination. Oh, it is kind of sad because then she really had no purpose in being there. Everybody was utilized in some way and it made sense that they would need somebody like her, but they don't. They don't. Then, well, they didn't know that, but I mean, yeah, they do not end up needing her at all. She doesn't get to help. She doesn't get to do any anything. Well, it's also why she jumping ahead. It's why she runs out of the room when she's threatening them all with the knife, and she hears what she thinks is Cassie's voice. Right? Oh, Cassie was injured. Maybe I can go and help her. Yeah. And instead, oh, it's just the bear. Right. Even though she's like already clearly lost her mind because her fingertips are moving around. Well, there is mm-hmm. that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm sorry. They are. They probably are moving around. Their fingerprints yeah. are moving, but still. <laughs> I also think that Lena took that away from them to go and find the body because, or if she was mm-hmm. still alive, they had all known each other for nine months at least. Um, so they had created this bond. And who is this right. kind of stranger coming in and saying? So that now that I think about it, that's one of the reasons I think that Lena came off wrong to me because, or um, mm. she, the choices she made. You know, she just. Yes, somebody needs to take charge sometimes to just do things. But the fact that she just made it herself, it's like, who is she? She's this outsider. She's just coming in and, and making these decisions for them. I um, Even like when she turns down Anya to go help her find Cass, I almost view that as she, she's been in the army for, you know, however long. And like she has seen shit like this before. Right. I think she sees that Anya will not be able to handle <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. whatever they find with Cassie's body. I think both of those reads are totally valid and justified. It's like Lena probably thinks she's helping Anya by not exposing her to that. And also Anya's probably like, who the fuck are you? You know, this is my job. And also I knew her better. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we, we do get this brief flashback to the day that Kane leaves. He has to leave a day early. It's very unceremonious and it's very abrupt. And then he's just gone. So after discovering this man's body in the pool back in the shimmer, Josie has said she doesn't feel comfortable staying in the fort. So they end up going up to the top of the watchtower and we get this this moment where Lena discovers, yes, there's something going on with the cells. She can see the shimmer in them. But I really like how much effort the film goes to to establish a relationship to between Lena and Cass so that we can then kill Cass off first. Because it's the first person that gives her anything. And it's the first person that she really gave any information to. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if she's not giving it all up, she did at least speak about her husband. And, um, and I mean, she's not lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just... She's not giving, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She just uh, not giving all the information, but she's also, I, you know, she was very, I, she was a kind, she came off as being kind and wanting to uh, put her in the group and welcoming her in. Whereas really when she spoke to anybody else, she didn't give up any information. 
especially when the when she first met them. And this moment is it's really probably the closest we're going to come to a genuine human interaction before the shit hits the fan. Right. So Cass reassures her that she thinks Lena's doing a good job and even though she's holding it together, she's inwardly crumbling and the two women are just very comforting to each other. And then this is when Lena goes down to check on Ventress. She asks this question, you know, hey, do you think my husband was suicidal for coming on this mission? Ooh, I have this, what she says, because I, I think this is like kind of like the thesis of the film, right? It really is, yeah. So, she, yeah, so, so, so Ventress goes, I think you're confusing suicide with self-destruction. Almost none of us commit suicide, and almost all of us self-destruct. In some way, in some part of our lives, we drink, or we smoke, we destabilize the good job, and a happy marriage. But these aren't decisions. They're impulses. In fact, you're probably better equipped to explain this than I am, since you're a biologist. Isn't the, the self-destruction coded into us, programmed into each cell? Bing! And I love that one of the reasons that these characters stand apart from the other things, the weird things that we see in the Shimmer, is because they are these flawed, damaged humans who are self-destructing, right? So their self-destruction is represented in a multiple a multiplicity of different ways but it's also what kind of brings them closer to self-actualization which again is part of the reason why even though some of these things are monstrous i don't know that they're always bad because i think they force these women to confront who they are and reflect on some of the things that they wish they had done differently right i don't know philosophical maybe too much <laughs> All this to say, Cass then comes down and gets eaten by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It made it so sad. I, I I felt every bit of what she was saying because it was like, oh, that's why they had this moment and and everything starting to make sense. The whole theme, the self-destruction especially. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, it's why I didn't uh, at first when I would have those moments of something feeling a little scared, it didn't be moments that I felt, no, it was just more coming of um, like you said self-actualization and the shimmer being confused to me more of a confused being instead mm -hmm. of something that was trying to destroy you on purpose. Like this is something that will, is what will end up happening. Like it's just nature. It's just that... evolution, right? Yes. Yeah. Evolution. There you go. Uh-huh. Well, I think that also can be a hard concept to grab. I think that that contributed to the C cinema score for this because oh, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Like having a thing that just is with mm -hmm. uh, yeah this, this thing isn't a villain again <laughs> i would say it's not exciting where <laughs> yeah. are the answers it's just there it's just living it's just changing things as it grows and learns more about itself as well mm -hmm. okay so Cass is gone it's important to note that she does scream help me help me help me as she is dragged away because that will come back later. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I appreciate, too, that we almost immediately cut to the next morning. And even though technically it's a new day, we don't just brush over this. Even though they're scientists, they're soldiers, they're not ready to just continue on with the mission. Like, Dr. Ventress says, okay, we got to push on. The lighthouse is here. We need to go. And Anya and Josie want to turn back because... They have lost a member of the team. They are grieving. They are not okay with this. Which I guess my only thing is with this whole idea. I was like, girls, 
Um, no one's come out of this. Right. <laughs> like, what makes you think you are going to be able to walk out? Yeah, and so I mean, look, I I get it. You know, you see someone get killed, or you've lost a member, a friend of yours, like whatever. I get it. You're gonna feel like this, but I just feel like there should have been maybe a bit more foresight into the possibility of something like this happening. Yeah, they should have anticipated that they were going to lose people, especially because when they saw the names on the board. Remember when they were back in that mm-hmm. um that facility somewhere crossed off and it's like you don't mm-hmm. need to know why they got crossed it's obvious those people had died and you've already yeah. seen a the dead names person got crossed off for a reason yes <laughs> is it josie uh, josie's the one that asks like why are these crossed off and yeah. lena's like Girl. bitch <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even gonna bother answering you because it's just like it's a given it's a given and at this point it's like and they they all kind of like they jump on well it's anya who gets after lena because mm-hmm. she's like you would you're just going along with what she's saying but at the same time, six days to head back to the point where they came in, three days yeah. they didn't even remember. And it's only two days to go forward. So even if you want to escape, even if mm-hmm. you want to leave, because that is the logical thing to do, get the fuck out of here. They need to go two days. Two days makes yeah. more sense. It's still the smarter move. Six it, days. It yeah. It's it, like the smarter move. And I totally get that. But I think of it like, first of all, their own mortality. It's like now they're really faced with it. They may have had this concept Mm -hmm. of, you know, we're not immortal. This could happen. You know, they had that concept, but now it's a reality. And then when they're they don't know what's in front of them for those two days, but they know what's behind them. So I would yeah. rather pushing oh, into the unknown right. as opposed to what you already well, exactly. know. But it's uh, yeah, well, that's the thing, though, right? Do you want to go two more days with the mutations getting worse, or six days with the mutations getting less worse as you get right. on? <laughs> but they don't know that. They don't know that they're actually getting worse. They only realize that as they go. Uh, yeah. Well, they, they figure that out real quickly with this fucking bear. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Yeah. So we get another scene back with Lomax, and this is when Lena admits that. She didn't really mean to, but yes, she was lying when she more or less convinced Anya and Josie to press forward with Ventress and go to the lighthouse. And this is where we get confirmation that Ventress has cancer and she never intended on coming back. Yeah. So then we move into the woods and this is when Lena refuses Anya. She finds Cass's body confirmed dead. The riff continues between these two women. So as they press on, this is when Lena says, hey, Anya, are you okay? And Anya just goes, leave me the fuck alone. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, this is so good. If folks haven't seen Jane the Virgin, it's a legitimately delightful show. Mm-hmm. Gina yes. Rodriguez is a great fucking star. I know somebody wants us to talk about how she did a thing where she has a tendency to sometimes stick her foot in her mouth and then she doubles down on it. So yeah. yeah. But I don't think, I think that's just her being like, I don't think she's a racist. I don't think she's a bad person. I think she just says things without thinking about them sometimes. Yeah, I I agree. If we're just talking about acting talent, I think she's a force. And Jane the Virgin was a great showcase for her. But also, you know, it it was one type of role. Mm -hmm. And this role is... The polar opposite. Yeah, it's really impressive to see what she can do when she's given an opportunity to do something completely different from Jane. And I just love this for this actress because I think she's excellent. Yes, she Mm -hmm. is. And you totally believe both roles you totally believe the character that she plays in each she could be jane Mm -hmm. the virgin and she could be over here being you know saying 
leave me the fuck alone or whatever it was she just said yes <laughs> well and, and, and i will say too so the the, the only extra features on this blu-ray are three uh, it's a set of three different featurettes it's about 80 minutes total in length but um it does include like obviously alex garland but all the women which i really appreciate it when it's like yes. on set uh, for me featurettes but gina rodriguez She's apparently an adrenaline junkie, and she did all of her own stunts. So when she is getting mauled oh, by the bear, like there, you can see like on set footage of her like talking to the guy who's like you know the CGI bear basically, and you know mm-hmm. she's like she's like oh don't pull me too tightly on the stairs. She goes, He's like wait you don't want me to pull you. She goes oh, pull me, but give me a chance to like you know grab for something to, so I look more desperate before you rip my jaw off. Oh, and it's wow. like really fun to watch her. <laughs> oh, like she, she's wow. really like working with the stunt crew and like and like the the coordinator and getting thrown around this room (laughs) i love that even more (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes unfortunately we're not quite there we do need to get to the flower town so this is where we see flowers in the shape of people and i mean we're talking about cancer we're talking about mutations i can't help but feel that this imagery is drawn from images of the atomic bond being dropped in the shadow uh, work yes, that we see yes. i instantly looked at this and i i just shouted you know it's people um <laughs> because i was thinking it's Harley green but oh my gosh it was so perfect and it was you knew what you're looking at like, these are these are actual people this is what happened they changed but i mm-hmm. saw that i saw that like uh, that was what you used to be. That's a shimmer of what you once were. It was very almost, it was literal and it's <laughs> figurative at the same time. It's all, um, yeah, but I saw that too. And I'm glad um, I felt that and saw it at the same time. Yeah, it was beautiful and unsettling at the same time. So this, I feel like is the last kind of burst of science that we're going to have before this movie <laughs> goes into a full action horror set piece. Mm-hmm. So... This is also, unfortunately, I think Tessa Thompson's best moment because mm-hmm. she doesn't get a ton to do in this film. Yeah. If I could get a longer cut of this movie with more Josie, I would love that. I do just generally love Tessa Thompson, but I wish she got a bit more to do mm-hmm. in the film. So this is when we learn about, yeah, the the concept of refracting and it's why we can't get the signals outside of the shimmer. And it's not that they're they're not going through it's that they're being refracted back and also everyone's dna so animal plant and yes human dna is being refracted within the shimmer oh there's that moment when ventress is just going she's talking about us (laughs) (laughs) i said said the same thing at the same time i'm like are you listening i don't even know who i was shouting at my husband's seen the movie before (laughs) just an empty living room (laughs) <laughs> well, it's like, like I, th- I think it's Anya who's like, "That's literally not possible," and Lena's like, "It's literally happening." <laughs> Girl, stop denying. The denial is happening. <laughs> so they do set up camp in a house for the night, and Anya is just becoming increasingly moody and angry. You know, we see her looking at her hand, and then she's looking at Lena like, "Bitch, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> This is when Lena wakes up in the middle of the night so she can check her own cells. So last time she was looking, I think, off of the guy from the pool. Here she's actually looking at drops of her own blood and she can definitely see she has been affected by the shimmer. And then this is where we get our final moment with her and Dan post-coital. And I do love the moment, just in case you needed confirmation, when Dan says, you know, hey, we've got this connection, we shouldn't blame ourselves, blah, blah, blah. He's rationalizing the affair. 
And he says, you don't even hate me. You just hate yourself. And she goes, no, Dan, I hate myself and I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, you suck. (laughs) So we're back in the house and this is a, a bit of a funny moment. Anya wakes her up so that she can knock her out with yeah. the butt of the gun. <laughs> She's like, you lying bitch. Boom. I just wanted you to know it was me. <laughs> I love it. It's like she's, I honestly, I like that because I felt that she could have, she could have also been equally pissed at Ventress. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but she chose that Lena was the yep. one she was going to be angry with. And even though she, she's going to tie them all up, it's her she woke up and wanted to make sure that she specifically knew you're the one. Well, <laughs> the only thing is, though, we don't see her We don't see her wake up or, or knock out Ventress or Josie. It's entirely possible to do the exact same thing, but right. it's also her locket she found with Kane's picture. So that's some pretty damning evidence when we return to the scene when Lena wakes up. Yes, they are gagged they are bound to chairs in a row and anya is just going off on this conspiracy theory it was all lena we can't trust anything she says she's a liar we don't even know what happened to cassie i've got a knife i'm gonna cut you hey what's that help me okay this actually is a really good moment for rodriguez i like this this spiral that she's going on in this monologue and i love that she's because she has a moment where she's like i can let you go but like are you gonna tie me to a chair and then she just goes but I'm not the one tied to a chair. You are. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good. It's a it's a fantastic moment for her in what we know probably has to end with her either getting tied up and or killed. Yeah. We just don't anticipate that it's going to be at the mouth of a mutated skeleton bear who can impersonate slash scream cassie's dying words okay so this is interesting so i love that you say impersonate because you could view it as impersonating however we see a skull and an eyeball on the side Mm -hmm. of this bear's face and i believe that this bear absorbed cassie's dna and so therefore it's not mimicking her it is part her you would be right for that because josie will later say you know i i think as she was being eaten or mauled you know it was interacting with her and that's why it's able to do this so yeah i think you could say it technically mutated with her or merged with her and this is her i i had never read it that way but i could see it well because we see her body with her face on it earlier but again if we're going with dna then this Mm -hmm. yeah her dna is in this bear because it had a taste of her blood Sure. I felt at first, I, I when I heard the scream, my my first reaction was thinking this was something that it learned as um, a predator. Um, it mimicked it because that was the last thing that it saw. But seeing that skull, seeing it, it's like it it, it definitely felt to me like it it was absorbing her. It took on her DNA. It took pieces of her, and they were all becoming one. And to be clear. Either one of these scenarios is horrifying. horrifying. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was really scary. I did I mention that. I just I uh yeah, it was it was woo. I did not like that. Well Joe, jo, you wrote a whole article about this scene. Do you have any like you wanna like really just comment on how like why this scene is so effective? I think it's just so expertly done in terms of the way Garland shoots this and edits this. Like to me, the tensest moment of this is when the camera is facing the three women as they're tied up in the chair in a line. And then we see the snout 
and it's the skeleton side out that's mm-hmm. facing us and it just comes in between the two of them i think the cgi on this is it looked a little dodgy when it attacks cassie in the dark and some of its movements when it's shaking anya later it's like okay it's a little cgi but here this looks like a proper bear it is massive I just think the creature design is also super effective, but the sound design for me is where it shines. Yeah, and it's like when we see the bear in full, you're right, it is pretty much a CGI creation. However, when it is just the head, mm-hmm. it is an actual animatronic bear. Now, granted, did they go over it with some CG? Absolutely. Sure. But like, yeah. yeah, this thing is one of the most horrifying creations I think that has ever graced our screens. <laughs> I love it. This sequence is a standout. It was my favorite moment of the year, which is why I ended up writing that piece. Uh, Just to toot my own horn, it's also my most read piece ever. So this went viral on Reddit. And apparently there was like 30,000 views. Well, I was going to say I need to read it. (laughs) But yeah, this is great. And then Anya dies horribly. Mm -hmm. This... I mean, look, I actually don't think this is the most upsetting death for me. It's Ventress's, which I'll explain why later. Um, But yeah, I mean, again, like watching this is this aired during season four. Sorry, this was released during season four out of five of Jane the Virgin. Um, it's just really hard to watch an actress like this, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, wow. who you know as as like a as as a, as a CW like Jane the Virgin girl. Yeah. It's like oh, her jaw gets ripped off, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they really show it. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. they. Oh, yeah. I knew that they knew that it looked good because if you're not going to have something be as effective, you show a glimpse, you show it in the dark, you show it really quick. And this was, it lingered on her yep. face so that you could really see. Yes. And it's like, wow. It, it was, it was, re- it was an incredible shot. Yeah. And then Josie puts him down. So. Well, and then, and then Josie gets a much more peaceful death. <laughs> well, yeah. So after all of this, we break for another new day ventress uh (laughs) the absolute unemotional uncaring leader that she is just goes fuck all of you i'm going to the lighthouse with or without you goodbye (laughs) yeah and then this is when josie reveals that she is mutating in a different way so she very much has a the ruins kind of infestation going on but she's calm she's peaceful she accepts it she says she doesn't want to fight it and i love the way that this is shot where it's almost like she just walks away like it's a fleeting glimpse almost like a lover who says you know what i can't do this anymore and the way that it's shot you know she's she's ducking around bushes as lena tries to follow her and then by the time we get to the clearing she's just another one of these flower people. well i also think it's important too because you know we know that she's a cutter you know and so the first time we see these plants coming out of her out of her are on her mm-hmm. arms where her cutting wounds right. would have been so it's almost poetic in a way that she took something that she, that she was using as a form of self-destruction and became something new. And she was hiding it the whole time, too. Mm-hmm. She had long sleeves on. She right. had the jacket. Yeah. And at that, that morning, she didn't have that on anymore. It was, she had already found that peace and acceptance. And you could see it. You could see her old scars, but you saw the vines, the, the green, and it was becoming something beautiful. Yeah. And as she walked away, it was almost like I imagined her just becoming, as she walked through the flowers you couldn't tell where she ended up being or where she last was and then it was like i knew she was doing it, it was so beautiful <laughs> it was so great that she chose that piece because she did choose that 
Well, and I think this is probably my strongest argument for why it's not all bad what happens to them in the Shimmer. Because, well, yes, Josie unequivocally dies here. She blossoms, right? She takes control. She has the control that she was always trying to achieve by the cutting. And she turns it into something beautiful. And she accepts it and herself. But yeah, so now Lena is alone. So we head to the lighthouse, which is our final title card. She first has a little cry in the woods. You know what? Appropriate. Relatable. <laughs> Have a little breakdown, girl. <laughs> and then we see her on the water's edge, on the beach, and we see icicle trees that are as tall as regular trees, but entirely comprised of ice. And... Oh, I view this as crystal, actually. Oh, you know what? It might be crystal. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, it's pretty either oh. way. <laughs> However you want to read it, ice or crystal, these kinds of unique mutations are growing directly out of the sand. And then we also see stacks of bones, but they're laid out very sort of rigidly like yes. you might in the army in front of the lighthouse entrance. Yeah, someone laid these out. Like this wasn't just like, that, that didn't just happen. Yeah, it's like a burial, but we didn't actually dig the graves. So Lena goes inside, and interestingly enough, this is obviously where the meteor struck. We do get a kind of blue hole in the center of it where we can presume it went down underground. But I love that the mutation here is all white. It somehow makes it creepier and more beautiful for me. It's like that, um, have you ever had like a Hershey's Kiss uh, that is just old mm -hmm. and it kind of gets that white dusty <laughs> oh flavor God. to it? <laughs> That's what this is. One, you yes. could have gone with white chocolate, but no. That's great. <laughs> no, because because an old ass Hershey's kiss mutated. Ew. I changed. <laughs> I think it's actually just oxidization, but it's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> So in addition to this hole in the ground, we also have a charred skeleton sitting in front of a camcorder. The tape is still in there, so Lena does play it. Kane loves to appear on audiovisual mediums in this movie, so <laughs> this is him basically having a similar experience to Anya, where he's not sure who he is or where he's at anymore. Like, he's really questioning his identity, similar to the God conversation he and Lena had in the flashback, and then he sets himself on fire using a phosphorus grenade, and then we see his doppelganger step into frame. So yes, this is it's been it's been the double the whole time. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Who would have guessed? That's what I said. <laughs> it was interesting because as soon as I saw that body, I was like, "That's him. That's mm -hmm. him." They gave me enough time to like you work through it. I liked that. I liked that it gave me uh, that I I you knew it because it was almost like the characters and their acceptance of their fate. And mm -hmm. there I am. You know, I didn't. I didn't need to question it. It, it. it happened. Therefore, you know, I knew that that was him that came back. But it also left me with the um, with the feeling that he that became, you know, that his doppelganger was because he really did love her. And I don't think that he was like, for me, I don't feel like he was trying to leave her forever. I think mm -hmm. that he did want to come back to her and that he really did love her despite oh. knowing everything yeah no I, I i i don't think he actually wanted to die when he went into this but i do think he was hurt and wanted to get away so he was like fine he made a reckless decision a reckless and stupid decision which makes it's human it makes sense 
Well, and you're right, Alma, because he says to his doppelganger, seek out Lena, you know, like, if you manage to get out of here, go to Mm -hmm. her, because I think he regrets this idea that, you know, he left it on bad terms, and he will never get to apologize. So the next best thing he can do is send a replacement to her. Exactly. And he's speaking for both of them when he's talking about her. Um, You know, uh, that's the part that really gets me. It's just like, oh, my God, he's speaking for both of them. Like, he knows that they're, like, one and the same, even though they're not. Yes. And that yes. a part of him is uh-huh. going to continue. So, therefore, he's sharing these ideas and thoughts with his new, you know, self. Absolutely. Because if we are to assume the conversation that we had about Cassie and the bear, then that means that maybe a similar process has occurred here, right? Where a part of Cain lives on in his doppelganger, whether it's his memories or just his attributes, but he is technically sending a part of himself back. Okay, so you can't show us a hole in the ground in a horror movie without going (laughs) into the fucking hole. So that's what Lena does. We go down this vagina tunnel into a black room... (laughs) And lo and behold, hey, everybody, did you remember that Ventress is still a character in this movie? Trace, do you happen to have this monologue? (laughs) Uh, I don't have this monologue, actually. Do you have it? I don't. I just have the the general. It's okay, because here's the thing. I find this death horrifying. That's weird, because I do and I don't. I think that this is terrifying, but also... Again, there's a part of it that's acceptance. It is acceptance, but here's the thing. The visual image of her basically disintegrating, mm-hmm. and it's honestly, I, I know it's a CGI thing, but it's like when she's like, you know, the beams coming out of her mouth, and you see her shriveled up hands that just look yeah. like skin. Yeah. Oh, you know what it reminds me of, Joe? What? The death scenes in Under the Skin. Oh, interesting. Because the sound that we're hearing is very similar to the score that we would get in Under the Skin. Dude, yes. The, the, the score, the... Yes. The score in this final sequence is like legitimately it rackets this movie up like a full point for me because it is so fucking good it's so unsightly the the, the score makes me if i was just hearing that i would feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable yeah i did not like it i just was i don't like it it made it 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 did make it worse i could see her acceptance i could see uh it was it was beautiful and it was like the lights and everything i'm like oh my god it's like almost like a galaxy of herself forming around herself that she's becoming and everything Mm -hmm. but the sound was just fucking scary. <laughs> yes. Ooh, I just got shivers. I thought I just yeah. thought it was beautiful. It's like she's just releasing herself. She's just letting herself go out there where she, where mm-hmm. I think she wanted to be the whole time, just freeing the universe, free. So this thing. Okay, I'm gonna try. I'm not even gonna try to explain it. Actually, I'm just gonna. Try, I'm gonna read read you what I what I best could put up with this mandel bulb so in mathematics a fractal is a geometric shape containing detailed structure and arbitrarily small scales usually having a fractal dimension strictly exceeding the topological dimension did i lose you yet yes (laughs) (laughs) don't say it in in science trace say it in english girl (laughs) say it in english the mandel bulb is a three-dimensional fractal the mandel bulb is the shape that we see with the cgi creation Ooh, okay so this is the thing that Lena's looking into. Yes, this is what a mandel bulb is. But here's the thing: a canonical three-dimensional mandel bulb 
thing does not exist because it is impossible to have a three-dimensional analog of a two-dimensional space of complex numbers. So this Ooh. thing existing, it's impossible. It's impossible to happen. So when they were making this, when they were designing this for the film, they found an app that constructed a 3D version of a 2D mathematical concept, which Ooh. is the Mandelbulb. So it moves in a way that feels organic, but it's also mathematic. So we're looking at something that should not exist, that does not exist. I love this thing. It's extremely discomforting, especially because we move the camera around it so you can kind of see how it shimmers, how it moves. The fact that it almost seems to have a core or an eye that Lena can look into. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's refracting back light on her. So we're seeing the shimmer in her eye, which we already knew was there because it's in her blood. Oh, just honestly, everything from the lighthouse on in this movie is a fucking plus. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So a drop of blood from Lena's eye gets sucked into this and it starts to, just like the cells we've seen and talked about this entire fucking movie, it's splitting, it's dividing, it's mutating, it's accelerating, but we can see the mutation in it and then it ends up forming this kind of featureless, oily, black figure. And Lena, like smart people in horror films, tries to shoot this motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> well, okay but then she's like oh that's oh i love the way it looks though when the bullets hit it and it, it almost grows like tentacles around its body because it's also yes. absorbing the, the the bullets and the and the mm -hmm. the, the, the waves like the trails yeah, yeah, yeah like the, a, trail. the trajectory of the bullets as it doesn't allow them to hit the body is so good yeah it looks really <laughs> cool but this bitch decides to say, nope not doing this runs away and this thing is already upstairs waiting for her. <laughs> Love it. And it's, it's also changing color, right? So it's gone from black to now a kind of like seaweed green color when she gets upstairs. Yeah. Well, because it, it, it almost has like the, the, the color pattern of the mandible that we saw earlier. Like it's like a bunch of different colors woven into one. Right. So then we get, I think, what is very confronting to conventional audiences where they think okay let's get a fight sequence to end this movie this is the climax it's lena versus the alien let's fucking go and instead as i said off the top we get a kind of contemporary dance number where it mirrors or refracts her motions so if she does something it doesn't equal motion and this is where we truly understand that this thing is not trying to hurt her. It's trying to understand her. It's trying to absorb her. Mm -hmm. I love the moment where it forces her up against the door and it is crushing her, but it clearly doesn't mean to. It's just trying to understand and follow her. Yeah, this is... um. I, think, I remember the first time I watched this. Because, again, th this is not in the book. <laughs> no, no. This is a completely different ending. This, I, I, just trying to... Again, it's a thing where it's like, yeah, me as a viewer, I'm like, okay, I'm wanting something that is like, I understand. I expect certain things in, in narratives, especially in sci-fi and horror narratives. And this is not giving me that, right? Mm -mm. But it's also just like, again, a, 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 multiple, a second viewing helped me with this like this i was kind of like okay i get it like it's not a it's not a bad thing it's just yeah it's trying to learn you could also even like 
Uh, I mean, if you, if you want to go with, like, messagey here, a social commentary, uh, what it's doing while we are viewing it as, like, oh, it's hurting her, it's not much different than how we as humans and scientists study other organisms. Oh, I just I was just thinking on that right now. That is so true. It's like, it's how we learn by hurting and by dissecting. And it's like, it's like in every, every movie involves something. It's like, well, I don't want to be dissected, you know, to be learned from and all that. So um, I can totally see that. I just also love this scene because it's just visually, I love it. Uh, the dance routine that they're doing and the the color and the shape of this alien thing moving along with her and when it eventually ends up completely morphing into her minus the face. I just loved that so much. I found it to be almost being playful. Yes. And, yeah. um, and silly because I... I, I thought that this was something that was confused by what it was seen and trying to figure out what it is. And you see this when you um, when we're able to look at animals in the zoo and they mimic you. And the whole time I was thinking this was something that does not understand us is trying to learn. And in this dance movement, it is. It's great. It looks like um, like a modern dance, like somebody who's doing an interpretation, interpretive dance of something. And the bean is almost like you can see the way it's changing color, almost like a when you see an oil slick and it has like a rainbow in it and it's absorbing mm-hmm. everything that it's seen and it's learning. And up until the point where she realizes it and accepts it, it's really a beautiful scene. Uh, honestly, if it had ended right, I all I almost completely forgot about Ventures. I did forget about it. Okay, <laughs> that's how I totally went down the vagina hole. Um, and then they're in there, and it's like, oh shit, I I forgot about her. And then every moment after that, it just seemed to top the moment before, and it right. was very visual. It was the sound, the movement, everything. It was like a very magical experience. And the bean, it's almost like I understood it. It wanted to be. And it learned from everything, but not capable of learning about anything individually because it took on everything around it. So then she kills. Well, okay. actually, I'm sorry. I'm saying she kills this thing, but we don't. I think where it loses me a little bit. Is that, you know, Mm -hmm. she gives this thing a grenade, it blows up, it freaks out, it goes down, which then destroys the shimmer. Everything in it too, right? Like, because I guess if it's everything, like it's been everything, it's accepting, it's absorbed everything, it's all become one. Then if it's on fire, then it all burned down. But yeah, it was. It's kind of, to me, it's a little bit like when we get these parasite sci-fi films where Mm -hmm. if you kill the the mother or the the chief host or something yeah. like that then all the rest of them die that's kind of how that's, i read that's it that's how i understood it as well i think like war of the worlds does it and you know a few others do it where yeah it's it was the beginning that was the beginning so if it was destroyed then it just kind of leads to everything else because everything was connected to you know it, it spiraled out of there or you know grew from there so i guess my thing is though so like i think we're all in agreement i think that this thing is not evil right so she kills this thing and then just kills everything it ever made <laughs> yeah she commits genocide yeah she commits thing. genocide <laughs> she could have taken a sample or something back with her because they're interrogating her at the end i don't know she's i'm scared like of she, it, she comes out with nothing she's scared of it yeah though. she was i think that's that's very human like that's how we 100 I mean, she's yeah. confronted yeah. with something new and she's terrified mm-hmm. 
especially when she realizes, oh, it's it's starting to look like me. It might take my place, right? That's when she goes for the phosphorus grenade. What I love is that this creature has mirrored or refracted all of her movements, but it doesn't try to pass a grenade to her. It accepts her grenade. It accepts its death. That's why it goes down the hole. You can almost see it reaching its arms out to set all the rest of it on fire. So to me, what happens to the Shimmer, this alien, is identical to what Josie did. Ah, okay. Well, okay, okay, okay. So... Because we know that Kane is a double, and we see this. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I, I know I'm jumping all over the very last shot of this fucking movie, but it's all tied. It's all tied together. We can all talk about. We're it basically once. there. We're basically there. But because I guess the first time I I saw this, I was like, okay, well that's a Lena double, but mm-hmm. I almost believe that it's still Lena. She's just still mutating, right? Because she she killed her double. The double is the thing that we saw set on fire. Mm-hmm. Well. But I, also because Kane gets better when the Shimmer is gone, which that was confusing to me because we know this is not Kane. We know this is something that was a clone created of, of him by the Shimmer. Mm-hmm. Why does he get better when the Shimmer is destroyed? Because he left the Shimmer, and I think that's what was killing him. He needed to stay within the Shimmer as long as it was still alive. Got it. Question mark. It's not explained. I can accept that, though. That's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I can accept that. Yeah, this whole movie is a but question I, mark. <laughs> yeah, but when she comes out, I do see that as her being changed. And um, therefore, you know, she is a part of the Shimmer. Mm-hmm. And, but I still see her as leaving and still evolving. And she Absolutely. And she herself doesn't understand either. I think, um, like, she questions him he questions her i don't think she fully you know understands if she is herself or not even though she is the one that that killed it to begin with because she saw Mm -hmm. like y'all said all those mutations inside her they're still with her so how much of her is herself now how much of her is is whatever was in the shimmer yeah we don't know but she but but i guess though the 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 shimmer's ultimate goal to create something new it did with her it's a it's a hybrid of human and shimmer well and this is my question to you because the film doesn't tell us this but the fact that we have husband and wife reunited we know from past experiences that they are physically intimate even though yes she did have an affair with dan Mm -hmm. do you think that they will procreate and create a new shimmer race because that's kind of where i see the sort of logical end of this film right like they embrace they discover that they both have a shimmer in their eyes and then that's where the movie ends i like that question i think however much if of lena is left in her if it's still mostly majority her then i say no because she understands the ramifications of that she understands what would happen if it's more the shimmer that's taking over and if it continues to take over her then yes a hundred percent it wants to procreate so it would it would do so <laughs> then it's species mm-hmm. yeah. oh my god <laughs> oh <laughs> no but i do i i want her the logical step for me next would have been the procreation of a new thing because the shipper was making something new and mm-hmm. i was hoping that with lena that the things that she accepted and the things that she may have shed were the things that I think people had a problem with her not divulging the information that she needed to the reason that Anya was angry with her all those things I felt like she left those behind in the shimmer 
and in acceptance and then coming out and even the doppelganger husband is accepted who he is. She's mm -hmm. accepted herself as a new being. And I felt like making them to me, I felt like if there's going to be another one, it's got to be, they make a new life because that's the reason she left. She left and everything else was destroyed. So whatever she made is new. It's new and it's better. Improved, Lena. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a, a quote that might fit in with that idea. So this is from a, a piece called The Queer Future of Annihilation on a website called Lady Science. <laughs> The future annihilation posits for us feels to me like a queer one, a future in which the biological basis for what it means to be human is scrambled. While there is pervasive queerness throughout the film, from the way the time passes differently inside the Shimmer, to the homosocial crew, to the constant references to unruly and uncontrollable cells, it's the film's rebuke of the natural that cements this feeling. Scholars and social justice advocates have long argued that what we think of as natural is socially constructed, but Annihilation pulls the rug out from under the idea that nature can ever be known at all because within the shimmer, the rules of biology have been made literally alien. Oh, <laughs> I like that. So yeah, that is Annihilation, my favorite film from 2018. And as you said, a lot of competition that year too. But um, yeah, all right, everyone, that is a wrap on Annihilation. So before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Dahlia, Alma, first, thank both of you for coming on to talk about what is oh, a very dense film. <laughs> very, very heavy. It's one of those movies that sits with you afterwards. It, I really had to watch a palate cleanser after this. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but let everyone know wh where can they find you on social media all right you can find us on instagram at nightmare movie podcast on twitter it is at nightmare on fifth that's nightmare on five th and dahlia has our other information we have a horror movie <laughs> blog it's at horror movie blog and uh, horrormovieblog.com. <laughs> We're all over the place. How did you get that domain, by the way? Horror Movie Blog? I'm, I, I'm surprised that wasn't taken that's by what someone. I said. That's what I said. I'm surprised it wasn't taken. I just did a search and I'm <laughs> like, holy shit, it's there. I'm going to take that it. wild. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, no way. Snag that bitch up. <laughs> so we did. Like you did like horrormovieblog1.com. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with horror filmmakers, as well as our uh, uh, the films we are looking forward to each month. Uh, if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are still in May, almost done. But if you go sign up now, you can get up to 242 hours of extra content. But this month for new episodes, we are going all in on the Evil Dead franchise with an with an episode on Evil Dead Rise, our thoughts on the franchise as a whole, and an audio commentary on the original 1981 film. We will also have episodes on Amazon Prime's Dead Ringers TV series and the sequel, The Wrath of Becky. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yes. What are we talking about next week? Well, it's going to be a decidedly campier, sillier affair, Trace, but we are kicking off the first of two weeks 
of dinosaur movies. Yep. <laughs> so we are jumping back to 1994 to talk about camp classic Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, uh, I, so I, y'all, I will just give you the uh, peek behind the curtains. I saw this for the first time last year after hearing about it for years. And I loved it so much. And it is very queer that I immediately told Joe, I was like, we had to put it on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We have to talk like, about this as I'm sorry, possible. what? I have heard nothing but good things about this movie, but also what oh yeah 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 it's weird it's bizarre it's so good <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited for my first time watch i hope you like it uh, make sure you watch the r-rated cut because the pg-13 cut that was released in 1994 is um not good <laughs> <laughs> noted okay <sighs> all right everyone well until next week we can cross out annihilation indeed and cross out horror queers 